Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this great opportunity this morning to uh, set aside time from uh, the things which busy our lives so much and to uh, reflect on what you have to say to us. Uh, Father, we pray for myself that uh, I'd speak clearly and truthfully. We pray for each one of us that our hearts would be moulded by your word, that uh, we would know afresh uh, something of your great love for us and the hope that we have because of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. One of the more, ex more frustrating experiences of life is when we lack knowledge. When we lack knowledge which might be important to us in a given situation. It's like when you're sick in hospital. Uh, a number of times and I've visited people from our congregation in hospital and I've asked them how they are and they say, well, I'm not doing too badly, but I sure do wish that I knew what was wrong with me. <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? Sometimes they feel that uh, the doctors know what's wrong with them, but no one seems to be telling them. And it's frustrating. Or when there's someone who you know, who you know is doing it tough, and you love them and you care for them, but uh, you're not hearing from them, they're not providing you with information, and you feel anxious and you feel helpless. I wonder if you've ever felt that way before. Some of you have. Lack of knowledge can make us feel powerless and helpless and anxious. But the opposite is true as well. They say that knowledge is power, don't they? And that's true. Knowledge is power. The disciples felt that. The disciples of Jesus had the very privileged position of being close to Jesus and having a lot of knowledge that would not have been available to them otherwise. Uh, the disciples had spent three full years with Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. They had been present when he preached to great crowds of people and preached um, memorable sermons. But uh, they were on, in the inner circle as well. Jesus lived with them. Uh, he uh, ate with them. He slept with them. He uh, connected with them. And uh, Jesus taught them one-on-one, -on -one, privately, uh, for three years. Um, these years you can do a degree in theology and it ta will take you three years at the PTC in Sydney and you can graduate and you're sent out, you're equipped to lead a church, apparently. Well, friends, the uh, disciples did their degree in theology with Jesus. Uh, you could go to PTC to learn about Jesus, but these guys, they had Jesus teach them about Jesus. How good is that, hey? Uh, is there a better theological degree than you can, that, that you can do than to have Jesus teach you about Jesus? And so the disciples, you know, they would have felt 10 feet tall when Jesus uh, was around them. They saw the way that he taught, the way, the way that he uh, performed miracles. They say that they saw the way that he refuted his enemies. Uh, people tried to trick him, but Jesus always had the answer. A tremendous guy to have around. They felt empowered. But in John chapter 16, on the night of the Passover, the disciples were decidedly the opposite. They felt powerless 
and anxious and vulnerable uh, because of some information that Jesus, Jesus had given them. Uh, Jesus had broken the news that he was about to leave them. And so far from feeling uh, empowered by knowledge, they were filled with grief. And they had questions. Uh, they wanted to know, why is he leaving? Uh, where is he going? Um, how can we, why is it that we can't follow him? And what does this mean for us? How will we cope without Jesus around? You see an example of that in uh, verse 16, if you care to, uh, care to look at that. In verse 16, uh, Jesus says to them, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Now you can feel their frustration and their anxiety, can't you? This is, they're not just asking questions out of curiosity. No, they were genuinely anxious. They felt helpless and they felt vulnerable. And so what we're looking at today is how Jesus um, helped them, how he ministered to their situation. And uh, in verses 19 through to 24 uh, is Jesus' response. And what we note there is that Jesus uh, doesn't simply outline for them blow by blow everything that's, that, that's going to happen to them. Uh, that would be more than they could bear. But he does deal with what's behind their question. Remember their question. What does he mean when he says, in a little while you'll see me no longer, and then after a little while you will see me? What he says is like this. He says, what is about to happen will cause you to weep and mourn, and you're going to be weeping, you're going to be mourning whilst the world rejoices. Remember in John's Gospel that the world uh, means the world as it is controlled by the evil one. So you're going to weep and mourn and you're going to be seeing other people uh, rejoicing in what's going to happen. But don't despair because your grief will turn to joy. Uh, in verse 21, it says, it's like when a woman goes into labour. I've got to be very careful here, uh, actually sort of saying that I, you know, giving any indication I know what labour is like. And uh, we've got a few ladies in the church who are going to go through labour in uh, the, the coming month or two, uh, which is great news. But I have seen a woman in labour a couple of times. And uh, sometimes, there, of course, some ladies have the blessing of going through less pain in labour than others. But in general, labour is about the most painful physical experience that humans go through. But it doesn't last forever. And I'm sure that it feels like forever when you're going through it. But... When it comes to an end, 
the baby which has been the cause of the pain becomes the very thing which is the source of the joy. It's not just that pain is replaced by joy, it's the cause of the pain becomes the cause of great joy. And it's that knowledge of the end result which uh, gives the mother courage to keep on persevering till the end. That's the illustration that Jesus uses. Now, uh, you and I know that when he talks about in a little while you'll not see me and then after a little while you will see me, uh, we know that he's, he's talking about his death and his resurrection. Of course, the theologians debate about that. You know, what they say, where you, whenever you get three or four theologians together, you'll get five or six opinions. And some say that he's talking about his death and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some say he's talking about his death and, he, and his second coming. But uh, on face value, and it seems to fit, that he's talking about his death and his resurrection, the key term being the term in a little while. But here he is not feeding the disciples with all of the details. In one sense, he doesn't actually answer their question, but what he does do is he answers their need. What Jesus is saying is, trust me. Trust me. You don't need to know all of the details, but the very thing which causes you terrible grief will become the source of great joy, joy that will never end. So hang in there and persevere. Now, um, throughout this Passover meal, the disciples have been firing questions at Jesus. Um, You might remember some of the questions they asked, you know, uh, who is it who's going to betray him? Ask him who's going to betray him. Um, You know, why is it that we can't follow you? Um, How can we know the way to where you're going? Uh, What do you mean by in a little while? They're firing questions at Jesus throughout this conversation. But in verses 23 to 28, Jesus tells them that on that day when they rejoice, that they actually ask Jesus any more questions. Now, what does he mean by that? Why, why does he say that? Verses 23 and 24. Verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, you think, you know, what is he saying here? What, what, what does this mean? I mean, up until now, as I said, the... the Disciples have been asking questions to Jesus directly. And, of course, when they pray, they pray to God the Father directly. But what we note here is that they have never prayed to God the Father in the name of Jesus, in the name of God the Son. Um, When we pray to God, we normally conclude our prayers with the words, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Why do we do that? Is it just habit? Or is there an underlying reason for it? What does it mean? Sometimes you can uh, work out what something means by uh, considering the opposite. And uh, I think that's the key. I wonder 
If you've ever listened closely when there's been some kind of a public event, some sort of a civic occasion where somebody has been asked to pray, you know, like the opening of Parliament or Anzac Day or Australia Day or whatever, and you get to the end of the prayer and the person leading the prayer does not say, in Jesus' name we pray. They simply say, Amen. Have you ever noticed that? You'll be looking out for it next time you, you, uh, you hear a public prayer, won't you? I guess it's the kind of thing I, look, I, I listen for. Sometimes I open the um, Port Macquarie Hastings Council with prayer. And when I do so, it's always in the name of Jesus. On one occasion, I was asked to pray at an Australia Day thing. And I think my prayer was like an entire sermon of the gospel. And, uh, well, I'm not, maybe that's why I didn't get an invitation back the next time. <laughs> Um, but when you notice that people don't pray in the name of Jesus, they simply say, Amen, it happens too often for it to simply be an oversight. And I take it that the reason that they do not pray in Jesus' name is because they do not want to be specifically Christian. Or the organisers don't want it to be specifically Christian. Uh, they want to pray prayers that a Muslim could say amen to, or a Jew could say amen to, or people of other faiths could say amen to. But the reason that we pray to God in Jesus' name is because we know the gospel. We know that the only reason that any person can have a relationship with God, the only reason that any person can speak directly to God the Father in heaven and expect to be listened to, and have prayers answered. The only reason that anyone can do that is because of what Jesus was about to face on this night. That he was about to die for our sins and after a little while they would see him again as he was resurrected from the grave. And so uh, when people pray and they intentionally refuse to pray in the name of Jesus, they're actually denying the very basis by which we can come to God in prayer. Forgiveness that comes only through the cross. And in that sense, they're denying the gospel. Notice what Jesus also says in verse 26. Verse 26. He says, In that day you will ask in my name, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from God the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Uh, Jesus was about to return to the Father in heaven. Now, this is not new information, by the way. Uh, back in chapter 14, he said to them that uh, he was going in order to, uh, to his father's house in order to prepare a place for them. Remember that? So he's not giving them anything new at this point. Um, but what he wants to make clear is that although he will be going to be with the father and although they will be praying in Jesus' name, that they do not have to pray to Jesus first. Uh, it's not that we 
have to pray to Jesus and then Jesus kind of passes on our prayer request to the Father. Um, that is not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus is the mediator uh, between us and the Father, but not in that sense. Uh, he is our mediator in the sense that by his death and resurrection that he has established the basis upon which we can be forgiven and can have direct relationship with God. And so we pray directly to the Father because of the work of the Son. And that is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, uh, does that make sense? It's an important point, actually, because uh, in our contemporary situation uh, there are churches that teach that uh, that we do not actually have to make our requests directly to God the Father that uh, instead that we can pray to some other person uh, some other spiritual being not necessarily Jesus and that that spiritual being that person can pass the prayer on to God the Father and as I say, it's not necessarily Jesus they're talking about. They might be talking about praying to Jesus' mother or praying to some so-called saint. And that person will kind of pass the prayer on. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, it, it means that God is uh, seen as Father not in an intimate sense, but in a, in a distant, unintimate, unrelational sense. Whereas the scriptures talk about God as being father in terms of being Abba. It's like daddy. It's, like a, it's not a picture of an austere father uh, whom you have only a formal relationship with. Uh, it's a picture of, 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 a, of a dad who's got his child in his arms and the child's wrapping their arms around the father and, call, and saying, Daddy, it's intimate, it's affectionate, it's personal. And that's the relationship that we can have with God the Father. Uh, and to say that you can't have that relationship, to say that you need to actually communicate with God the Father through somebody else, is a denial that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is enough. It denies that the work of Christ is sufficient for us to have that intimate relationship with the Father. And therefore, it is a denial of the gospel itself. Now, if you have a look at what Jesus says in verse 27, he assures the disciples that the Father loves them and that he loves them because they love Jesus and they've put their faith, they've put their belief, they've put their trust in Jesus. But they've got a lot to learn about belief and trust in Jesus. It's interesting, when you look at verse 29, the disciples then suddenly proclaim that, well, now everything's all very clear. Have a look at verse 29. <clears throat> verse 29, then Jesus' disciples says, well, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask, uh, have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God and Jesus says in verse 31 you believe at last extraordinary turn of events isn't it <laughs> what do you think's going on there uh, do you think that the, the penny's kind of finally dropped 
Is it because they they have now come to a profound understanding of the things which Jesus has just been talking to them about? Uh, Do you think Jesus was uh, being a touch sarcastic when he said, now you understand? To be honest, uh, in the Greek, there's no question mark there. Um, They don't have question marks in the Greek, so it could be a statement, could be a question mark. Well, the reason that they give in verse 30... Uh, about why they've <clears throat> now things are so clear to them and now they're believing and trusting in Jesus. The reason that they give uh, is not because they've really understood what he's saying, but they say that the reason is because, well, they had this question that they were just talking amongst themselves about, about, you know, what does he mean by in a little while? And they didn't actually even have to ask Jesus the question because Jesus knew it was on their mind in any case. And so that's the reason that they give. They've seen the small miracle, but they've actually missed the big point. Uh, More than that, in verses 31 to 32, Jesus uh, describes how shallow their understanding is by telling them about one thing which is about to happen, and that is he tells them, time has now come when they will run away and desert Jesus. Uh, Soon they would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas and the detachment of of soldiers would come with the chief priests. Jesus would be arrested. And Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, tells us that all of the disciples fled and deserted Jesus. Only Peter followed, but that at a distance. Now, sometimes we might read a passage like this and I don't know about you, but do you sometimes think, well, why didn't Jesus just kind of spell it all out for him? <laughs> you know, um, why didn't he tell him in, in point form everything that's about to happen? I wonder if you sometimes wonder or sometimes wish that God might tell you in point form what's about to happen in your life. Do you ever think that way? Hmm. I wonder how much room that would leave for trusting Jesus and trusting the Father. No, Jesus would not tell them more than they could bear. In the days ahead, as the disciples preached the gospel, they would suffer persecution, but they would be at peace. Because they would know that Jesus has in fact overcome the world. Um, the world. The word overcome is found in verse 33. And verse 33 is where this section finishes. Let me read it for you. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that word overcomes an interesting word. Uh, It can equally be translated as conquered. I have conquered the world. Um, There's an interesting little thing I discovered about the the Greek word as well. The Greek word itself uh, is um, a variation of the Greek word is the word Nike. How about that, hey? Where do you think the name of the sports shoe comes from? 
It's the Greek word to conquer, to overcome, to be victorious. Put that shoe on and guess what? You'll win the race. On this particular night, the disciples felt anxious and vulnerable. Jesus was leaving them. The information that they did not know, the knowledge that they would soon discover, was that the events which were about to happen would in fact change the world forever. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew what, he, what it was that he was facing. Jesus knew that he was about to endure the worst event in all of existence. Plenty of innocent people had been killed on a cross. But God the Son was about to be cut off from God the Father. The Passover lamb was about to bear the judgment for the sin of the world. You and I cannot comprehend the profound suffering of the cross. The suffering of the cross was not primarily the physical pain of having the nails driven into the wrists and into the, into the, into the feet and the, the pain of crucifixion, as excruciating as that is. No, the pain was that God the Son, who had lived forever in perfect and intimate fellowship with God the Father, would be cut off. As God the Father turned his back, as Jesus became sin for you and me. We cannot comprehend the enormity of the suffering of Jesus. We catch a glimpse of it a little bit later on on this particular night in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed in anguish, prayed to the Father, saying, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And as he prayed, he, he, was, he was in such stress, such anguish, that he sweated drops not of water, but of blood. And yet, in the shadow of the cross, the concern which Jesus had was not concern for himself, but rather concern for his disciples, that they would be comforted. And he comforted them with the knowledge of the gospel. For what, what, whatever troubles that they would face, he said, I want you to trust me on this one, that you will experience peace. For by his death, Jesus would defeat Satan. He would conquer the world. He would be the fulfilment of that which the Old Testament prophets looked towards in Psalms, such as Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, which speak of the Lord's anointed being crowned and ruling over his enemies. For by his death, Jesus would conquer the world and that is the comfort that he offers to his disciples on that night. And friends, it is the same comfort which God offers to us. 
Because the reality is that if we want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. We ought not to expect to always be popular when we tell others about Jesus. Uh, when we speak of some of the truths that we saw in last week's passage of, of sin and righteousness of judgment. When we make clear statements about the gospel, about who Jesus is, about his uniqueness, about Jesus being the only way to God. As we speak the truth that the problems of our world will not primarily be solved through economics or politics or changing government or education or social reform, as good as these things may be. But the great problem of our world is that we have walked away from God and that the solution to that can only be found in the gospel of Jesus. As we make statements such as this, we will have troubles in this world and we do not know what the days ahead will uh, we'll, we'll present us with we do not know what challenges we will face but what we do know is that the gospel is true we do know that Jesus died for sin that he has risen again we do know that it is the gospel and the gospel alone that can save people and so therefore we know that we can entrust our lives to God and we can do that because no matter what difficulties we may face, Jesus has conquered. No matter what difficulties we face, be it the persecutions of the gospel or be it the hardships of life as we too live in a fallen world, a world which one day will be renewed when Jesus returns. Whatever we may face, we know that we can experience joy and peace, a joy and peace which no one can take away from us, a joy and peace that doesn't mean that everything goes right for us in this life, but a joy and peace in knowing that no matter what happens, that Jesus has conquered, that we have relationship with God the Father, and we'll enjoy that relationship forever. And so, of course, I want to ask you if you yourself experience that joy and peace. Uh, you ought not to expect to enjoy that joy and peace uh, if you're not trusting in Jesus and if you're not praying to God uh, and enjoying the intimacy of that relationship. But if you do enjoy that joy and peace, you can uh, understand what the Apostle Paul says. And let me conclude with these words from Romans chapter 8, where he says in verse 35, Paul asks some questions of his own. And he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, says Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors 
not because of how great we are, but we are conquerors through him who loved us and died for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the incredible sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that knowing the pain and the anguish that he was about to endure, that his concern was for the well-being of his disciples. We thank you, Father God, for those great truths that he uh, did share with them, that uh, because of what was about to happen, that their anguish and their suffering would turn to joy. Uh, for he has conquered. He has conquered the evil one and is now at your right hand in heaven. Father, we pray that we would be people who entrust our lives to Jesus. May we be bold and clear in speaking the truth about Christ. May we be firm in our convictions and committed to obeying Christ, knowing that it will sometimes put us at odds with our world. But may we do so and be prepared to suffer whatever it may cost because we know that we have relationship with you, our Heavenly Father, that you love us because we love Jesus. And that's a relationship that no one can take away from us, that will endure forever. Uh, may we understand the trials and the difficulties that we may experience as being like the labour pains that result in joy. We ask these things in his name. Amen.